In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and to the ages of all ages, amen. The psalm says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the son of your maidservant. Find right from the beginning, the psalmist asking God for mercy and asking him for his patience and his compassion and his graciousness and for him to treat us based on his character, based on his love, not based on, on our deeds. As we start the fast, the readings um, are telling us to prepare ourselves for the coming of our Lord. The last, all the readings of the month of Hartur are talking about preparing our, us for the coming of our Lord. And Jesus, in the, in the Gospel reading, was very simple and very clear. And he told them, look, if you do not bear your cross, you cannot be my disciple. As simple as that. Nothing complicated. Sometimes life, things in life are, are indeed very nuanced. They are very gray and we're not very sure, is it like this or is it like that? God wants to make it very, very simple for you and for me. And all the readings today want to make it very simple for you and for me. Jesus is inviting you and me to follow him. We know where Jesus is. Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. And he sits at the right hand of, of his Father. And he is there in the kingdom of heaven. If we follow him, we will go to the same place. And we will be, and we will be with him always. And this following him is not something only that we like, see in the future. If I follow him, I will be with him. But no, Jesus says... My, my servant who serves me is with me, and him my Father will honor. So, if we follow Jesus, we will be with him in this life, and also, of course, in the one to come. Jesus is trying to make it very, very simple for us. He's very, trying to make it very simple for us. He's, he's, and he's telling us, to follow me, it's simple. There is a cost, though. There is a cost. What are you willing to pay? I remember reading... And I shared this a few weeks ago um, about when um, Jesus went with the apostles in the boat. When he went with uh, Peter uh, and Andrew in the boat. And they had caught nothing and he told them to launch out into the deep. And they did so. They launched out into the deep and they caught a great catch of fish. And I remember reading that with one of our young people. We were reading it together. And we were asking ourselves, what do you think in the whole wide world it would take to prevent the apostles in that moment from following Jesus. Like at that moment when they've been fishing all night and they've caught nothing and now they go out with Jesus and against all odds and against all logic and they catch a great catch of fish and they see, they see the power of God manifested in their line of work, in their expertise, in the thing that they know well, they see very clearly they see very, very clearly the power of God. What in the world could have held them back? Family? St. Peter had a family. They stayed in Capernaum and he followed Jesus everywhere. He went for three years and he would come back to Capernaum and go back out again. Friends? Didn't hold them back. Money? No, they left their profession to follow Jesus. What could have possibly held them back? Nothing. Nothing. When Jesus was telling them about the cost of discipleship, he was telling them, he was telling them about a cost that they had already 
willingly and gladly paid. Jesus is telling you and he's telling me, what is holding you back? What is holding you back from following me? Is it, is it something very tangible like money or family and so on? And Jesus talks to us about that. Or is it things that are a little bit less tangible? Maybe, maybe my pride, maybe uh, my impatience, maybe uh, my unwillingness to reconcile with someone who hurt me, you know? They say that 90% of the time when you forgive somebody, just an interesting fact, 90% of the time when you forgive somebody, the other person doesn't know what you're forgiving them for, right? So 90% of the time when we forgive somebody, the other person doesn't even know that they've hurt us. They don't even have a clue, right? And then if we go to them and we tell them, hey, by the way, I forgive you, they look at you and they say, for what? Right? Interesting, interesting fact. When we forgive, it's not in the hopes of, of an apology. It's in the hopes of peace in our own hearts and for our own well-being. What is it that's holding me back? Is it my ambition? And so on. The readings of today are very clear and very simple. In the, in the Pauline epistle, St. Paul is talking to us about the, 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 the second coming of the Lord. And he says many, many very fearful things. Um, he, says, he says that there is great torment and tribulation for those who do not follow God. Which is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you being counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his power, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. And he goes on, he goes on to say, I, and we also pray, for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. So St. Paul is describing something very fearful. He's describing something very, very fearful. And it's a, you know, a question which exceeds the scope of the, of the sermon um, in the liturgy. What, you know, what does God do with people of other religions and so on. But what St. Paul is saying, he, what St. Paul, Paul is saying is that in, in Jesus' second coming... It will be something very fearful. But why is the church associating this with, with starting the fast? Why is the church associating this with starting the fast? Because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming and his nativity is near. And though he's born in a manger and he's cute and cuddly and, he's, you know, uh, uh, and he seems harmless and humble, it's true. All of those things are true. But his humility is a rebuke to my pride. His desire to reconcile with the universe who has betrayed him is a rebuke to my unwillingness to forgive. His patience with humanity is a rebuke to my impatience with my, with my brother. I, who am a sinner, am impatient with my brother or sister who, who, is, who is not patient with me. And so on. 
So Jesus coming is, is very sweet, is very gentle, it's a cute little story, and we have all these little Christmas carols that we sing. But if we pay attention, we find that it is radically different from how I live my life. I'm speaking for myself, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, I'm just pointing the finger at me. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? What do we do with this? The churches, the churches knows we're going to read these readings and we're going we're gonna to quiver in our skin. So she puts for us this psalm that says, But you, O Lord, are full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. The church has prepared for us God's mercy and God's compassion and has prepared for us a time of fasting, a time now to say, okay, how is Jesus' coming on earth, his humility, his kindness, his gentleness, his patience, his, you pick something. What strikes you as really abnormal about Jesus' coming to earth, being born in a manger in all humility and weakness amongst us? What strikes you as just so shocking about that? Maybe that's something that God wants to cultivate in you and in me during this fast. Pick one thing. Don't pick a million things. I've tried that many years, to pick a million things and turn fasting into a time of a self-improvement plan. That doesn't work. Pick one thing. And pray this, and pray this psalm. You, O Lord, are full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth. Cultivate in me, O Lord, your humility. Cultivate in me, O Lord, your patience. Cultivate in me, O Lord, your desire to reconcile with every single human being on the face of the earth. Cultivate in me, O Lord, and so on and so on. And let this time of fasting not be a time where we change up our diet. Not be a time where we, um, you know, uh, go um, shopping for gifts or decorate our homes or invite people over and they invite us and this and that and so on. That's good. All that stuff is great and we all do it and, and it's fantastic and, you know, may, you know, power to you, you know, no problem, right? But let it more, more than that be a time in which I pray that God will bring me one step closer to this radical God, to this absolutely radical God who is willing to leave the kingdom of heaven and is willing to leave the glory and the praise of the angels to be born in a stinky, cold manger for you and for me. That's the depth of his desire to be united with you and with me. And I can look at all of his attributes and I can look at all of the things that are strikingly abnormal about this God and just choose one thing. If you don't know what to choose, speak with your spiritual guide, your father of confession, whoever, maybe they can help you. To choose one virtue that is so clearly evident in this humble, radical king who chooses to be born amongst us and spend the next 40 days cultivating, cultivating this new virtue, listening to sermons about it, praying about it, finding a practical application of it. If it's to be patient, you could say, okay, every time somebody asks me, talks to me, I'm going to wait for five seconds after they finish talking before I start talking again. Just count to five quietly in your head. I did that once, one fast. You know, it's amazing. People say something and they finish talking. 
And if you don't start talking again, if you don't say something, they jump in and they continue, right? Like they have more to say, right? And they can fill, they can fill the whole time just them talking. You never have to say anything at all. For those who are a little bit more introverted, it's great, right? You know, they do, they do, they do all the talking. For those of us who are trying to watch what our tongue says and keep our tongue from all the evils that can come from it, it's great too. Many, many, many different small, tiny little spiritual practices you can take to try to cultivate this virtue during this time of fasting so that on Christmas Day, you and the little drummer boy together can go to Jesus and tell him, what can I give to the king, right? What can I give to the one who has everything? And I can tell him, Lord, there's nothing that you need that I can give you. But today, this, this Christmas, instead of giving, giving you gold, frankincense, and myrrh, Lord, I want, to give you, I want to give you a little bit of patience. Just a little bit more than I had 40 days ago. I want to give you a little bit of peace. I want to be little, give you a little bit of kindness. I want to give you a fruit of the Spirit, which is what He truly desires. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me. My fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, please pray for me.